This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This podcast discusses themes that may be distressing to some. Support is available. You can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous support for the LGBTIQ plus community. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ plus community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. This is an LGBTIQ plus Health Australia and Joy 94.9 podcast. Hello and welcome to LHA Presents the Latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy. I'm your host, Triana Butler. Across the last couple of years, there's been a real focus on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns and other restrictions on people's mental health and well-being. Earlier this year, a study team from La Trobe University and LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia conducted a survey called the Pride and Pandemic Survey that asked LGBTIQ Plus identified people who live in Australia about their experiences since March 2020, really aiming to understand the impacts on our communities across the continent. The study team have analysed the data and joining us on the podcast to report back on the findings are Dr Natalie Amos, the lead at the Pride and Pandemic Study and Research Officer at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University. Welcome, Nat. Thank you for having us. And Amber Loomis, Policy and Research Coordinator at LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia. Welcome, Amber. Thanks so much, Triana. Nat, I'll start with you. What is the Pride and Pandemic Study? Yep, so the Pride and Pandemic study was a collaboration with uh, LGBTIQ Health Australia and Arches, um, and it was funded by the National Mental Health Commission to explore uh, the mental health impacts of the pandemic for LGBTIQ communities and also the kind of the strategies that were used during the pandemic to sort of mitigate those impacts. So we it was a, a two-part project. We ran a survey, um, an online survey of mental health and health and well-being experiences during the pandemic, as well as some focus groups that allowed us to get some kind of more detailed, nuanced stories of those experiences. Right. So what were some of the key findings from this? Uh, yeah, so I guess some of the, the the big key findings around mental health, most participants felt that their mental health had been negatively impacted by the pandemic. So that was um, a, like an experience that their, their mental well-being was impacted, but also for those that had already been diagnosed with a, um, a mental health condition felt that those had been uh, sort of made worse by the pandemic as well. Um, we had really alarmingly high rates of suicide attempt during the pandemic, So almost 7% of participants in the study reported having attempted suicide during the pandemic. Um, And also those mental health concerns were kind of further impacted by decreased uh, social connection, connection to family and friends, to support networks, uh, as well as uh, barriers to accessing mental health care, which existed prior to the pandemic, but then we're sort of further impacted by um, stay-at-home orders, um, and just accessibility for mental health care, which was a bit inundated generally in Australia as well during the pandemic. Um, yeah, so we also also found sort of high rates of um, 
of family violence during the pandemic as well, um, and also changes in alcohol and tobacco consumption where we saw increases, which probably reflect uh, sort of the additional stresses of the pandemic. Um, and that consumption is not necessarily problematic, but for those that did express concern, there was also uh, very few that managed to access support as well during the pandemic. And then we also saw a number of um, kind of strategies that people used. So uh, the, the online access, uh, online access to support groups, finding sort of unique ways to socially connect with others online um, and, and things like increased exercise and being outdoors and engaging in hobbies. So we did see a number of sort of nice uh, strategies that people reported that that kind of helped during the pandemic as well. Now, this is just the latest piece of research into the health and well-being of LGBTIQ plus people in Australia. There have been a number of studies, including Private Lives, which was really the, the biggest study in Australia to date on LGBTIQ plus health and well-being. Are there any differences between what was found in Private Lives and then what was found in the Pride and Pandemic study? So that's a, a really awesome question. We did the Private Lives 3 study was run uh, late 2019. So it's just prior to the pandemic. It had a similar approach. We did, we were conscious that we'd be able to make some comparisons. It's not the same study sample, but we'd at least be able to see uh, if there are differences between the two groups. And we tried to keep uh, survey items somewhat similar between the two surveys so that we could do that. Interesting thing though, in terms of mental health, we actually don't see a huge difference during the pandemic compared to Private Lives 3. And I think what that reflects is really that even prior to the pandemic for LGBTQ communities, mental health is just, it's outrageously poor still. So they, you know, LGBTQ people entered the pandemic in already challenging mental health circumstances. We don't see that get worse, but we don't, you know, we still see those really high rates of mental health. And then that's further impacted by um, that inability to access the care that is needed during the pandemic. We did also, uh, as, as I said before, there this self, uh, sort of that self-reflection on, on the impacts of the pandemic. People do feel that had impacted. It just wasn't reflected in the results compared to Private Lives 3. Was there anything in the results that surprised you? I mean, that hearing that, you know, there actually wasn't too much of a change in our mental health certainly surprises me. Was there anything that surprised you? For me, I think probably one of the standout findings from the pandemic were the rates of family violence that were experienced in the community, um, particularly among young people. So we had, um, of, of young people aged 18 to 24 years old, um, there were 50%, so half of those, those young people reported having experienced violence from a family member during the pandemic. And I think this is something that was a concern generally in Australia, that family violence would be increased, people would be sort of forced to remain in the home during lockdowns, during social distancing with, uh, with families uh, and I, I guess with homes that are not safe for them. Um, but then that sort of uniquely impacted for LGBTQ communities and particularly among young people who might be rejected for their identity uh, in their homes and this was reflected in the data. And we did see that uh, young people also expressed that this had happened um, for the first time during the pandemic or that this had been increased. So a lot of people said like an increase in frequency um, in this in this violence. That what that that outcome for me was sort of the most shocking. We kind of I expected that there would be um, increased family violence experiences, but just that rate of fifty percent for young people is is really really kind of shocking and upsetting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let me bring in Amber here. Amber, you're a uh, your policy and research coordinator at LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia, who was one of the partners on the research project. Why is this data so important? Yeah, that's a really great question, Triana. Um, you know, currently LGBTIQ plus people are not consistently or accurately counted across many uh, national and jurisdictional health and well-being surveys. And so it really is through the work of Arches, Pride and Pandemic being one example, Private Lives and Writing Themselves In, which you referenced before being other examples. That's really where we get the most data that that we have on what's happening with our communities. All of these surveys to have come out of, of Arches have large sample sizes and without having representation in in places like the census, for example. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really where we get our our information about health and well-being for LGBTQ plus communities. We should say as well at this point, Arches, that we keep referring to is the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society, which is where you're a research officer at, Natalie. Now, Nat, I want to ask you about the, the actual wording of the study itself. It refers to LGBTQ. It doesn't say LGBTIQ. Is that a deliberate decision to leave the I out of the, the acronym there? Uh, so we did, when when recruiting for the study and, and in design of, of, of the study, we did uh, intend to include LGBTIQ. Um, unfortunately, in recruitment, we didn't, we weren't able to kind of get the numbers of people with an intersex variation um, for the survey. We've had the similar concerns in Private Lives 3 as well. Um, I think that it's uh, it, the people with an intersex variation don't necessarily identify as LGBTQ as well, um, and it's hard with an LGBTIQ study uh, to target that group specifically. We really need um, work that is focused on intersex communities as well um, to uh, sort of get the numbers to tell their story. In our study, we do have a small number of people who reported having an intersex variation, but it's not enough for us to meaningfully represent them in the data because the data is just not large enough for us to sort of disaggregate, um, unfortunately. So it is, we, we say in the in the report as well, we need that there is a need for targeted research for, for people from uh, intersex communities as well. With all this data, what can we use to achieve change for LGBTIQ plus Australians? I think what the data illustrates uh, from the Pride and Pandemic study, uh, in addition to those Private Lives 3 studies, that we we already the our community already entered the pandemic in the pandemic in already challenging circumstances. Uh, this was this kind of situation was made worse by the pandemic, and what it does is really further highlights where the struggles are um, that already exist. Um, so, including poor mental health outcomes, uh, it's systemic discrimination, uh, the barriers that are faced by our communities for equitable and affirming healthcare. Um, and it highlights priority populations as well within these. So we look at different intersections of the community, how young people were impacted, how people with disability have been impacted, uh, people with trans and gender diverse identities, and how they're new, uniquely impacted and their unique needs during times of crisis, but also just generally um, beyond the pandemic as well. Um, 
And it helps us to kind of highlight these key issues in these key areas that we need to focus on for beyond the pandemic, just as I say, just generally, because these are already issues that existed prior to the pandemic, but also during future crises um, that might similarly impact uh, people. And in Australia, we have, um, you know, ongoing bushfires and floods, and they might sort of impact people in very localized areas, but there are still LGBTQ communities within these areas that need, will be faced with uh, sort of similar challenges to the pandemic that, um, that I think this data kind of highlights where those challenges exist. And of course, it all piles up on top of the other localized trauma that you mentioned as well. Amber, what are your thoughts? How can we use this data to achieve change? I think one of the the key things that stands out to me from from this piece of research um, is the the findings around worries related to financial and housing insecurity being particularly common throughout the pandemic, and how these have a, a negative impact on health and well being. So what that says to me, what it reminds me of, is the importance of whole of government approaches. Uh, So for our communities, that means we can't address one particular health area uh, and expect that to make significant differences. We need to look at the whole picture. Um, We need to look at holistic ways of of making change and of, of planning and in making policy for us to make significant differences in people's lives. And I think sometimes... Um, given the way that that government is set up, for example, um, it's it's very siloed. So I hope that this research helps to build that case for why we need to need to look at whole pictures and why we need investment across many different areas to address health and well-being. I think the the findings about violence, family violence that Nat mentioned. Uh, I hope that. This research also sheds a light on why that is such an important topic. I think we're seeing more and more focus on domestic, family, and sexual violence in our communities. Um, but again, this this work helps shine a light on that. I, I think I see it a bit as the tapestry of our communities, and this research is one thread throughout that, which shows um, what what we really need to focus on. Well, Nat, during Amber's answer, they brought up the government. So let's let's go there. What do you hope policymakers are going to take away from these findings? I think we at Arches, whenever we write these reports and write journal articles and papers and anything that we, we publish, it's always the same. We're calling for action now. We need immediate responses to this. We need the funding. We need the resources. We need the policy to back it up to provide those uh, inclusive and affirming and knowledgeable resources for for our communities in healthcare, in peer support, in um, family violence supports, um, and we need we need them now. We don't we cannot wait for another crisis. Uh, this you know the the pandemic has made the situation worse. We need to address things now. <laughs> Amber, you're nodding along very enthusiastically there. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, um, and I agree wholeheartedly with with what Nat has said. Um, this this piece of work has has thirteen different recommendations that have come of it come out of it, uh, and I think all thirteen of them are are equally important, and they do show just how urgent this work is. 
Um, and I think that it's it's key for policymakers to understand that people across LGBTIQ plus communities experience the world around us in in different ways. It's those intersections that Nat referred to. And so it's it's really key that folks who are in decision-making roles understand that we're not a homogenous community. They understand that um, those, those layering, intersecting oppressions impact some of us differently than others, more acutely than others. Um, and that, that these are, these are our lives. <laughs> and we, we really, as Nat said, we cannot wait um, for changes. We need, we need action now. And I think that's something that, that really fires me up about research in this space um, is that it, it demonstrates, well, as I said before, exactly what's needed. And, you know, I hope policymakers see, see this piece of work and are better able to understand uh, what's, what's at stake for us. Well, if you would like to read this research, you can probably just Google Pride and Pandemic Study and it'll show up. Otherwise, we're going to put a link in the episode description here so you can go and find it for yourself and have a read. Uh, Amber Loomis, Policy and Research Coordinator at LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia and Natalie Amos, Research Officer for the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Latest. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to LHA Presents The Latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy. If this podcast has raised any issues for you, you can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous LGBTI peer support and referral for people wanting to talk about a range of issues, including sexuality, identity, gender, feelings, or relationships. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTI community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. If you would like to suggest a person that you want to hear being interviewed on the podcast, please let us know by emailing info at lgbtiqhealth.org.au and include the podcast in the subject. This podcast was produced by Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. For more information on Joy's podcasting services, please visit joy.org.au forward slash services. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.